Welcome to Australian Hiker. We're your hosts, Tim and Jill Savage. This is episode 32 of the Australian Hiker podcast. This is our bonus episode for July 2017. In this episode, we're doing something a little bit different and we're bringing to you some experts in the field. In this particular case, we're bringing Joe Bonington from Joe's Base Camp. Now, just a little bit about Joe. Joe is the founder and owner of Joe's Base Camp located on Sydney's northern beaches. Joe developed a passion for wilderness adventure and the outdoors growing up in the Lake District in the UK. Uh, and his father, Sir Chris Bonington, is generally considered one of the world's eminent mountaineers. And while Joe dabbled in this activity, he didn't really follow in his father's footsteps. Joe's background is in strength and conditioning, and his love of the great outdoors has seen him lead tracks to Annapurna uh, region, Everest, Kokoda, Kilimanjaro and Bhutan. He's worked with individuals for almost 15 years to do this and opened the gym in early 2015, providing a unique fitness facility to help ordinary people achieve their goals. Joe's worked on a number of TV shows from various networks as an outdoor expert and and strength and conditioning coach. And he's also had articles featuring a number of Australian newspapers and magazines, including the adventure magazine Wild where he's recognised as a fitness professional that had actually done what we were all trying to achieve. Now, while Joe works with some pretty amazing people that have done things such as running across the Sahara or summiting Everest, now while most of us may never aim to achieve these lofty heights, Joe and his staff also coach the average person to achieve their own personal goals. And this includes tracking and bushwalking the Overland Track, the Kokoda Track in Papua New Guinea, as well as Nepal. The overriding philosophy of Joe's Base Camp is around the belief that in everything in life, it's not the destination, but the journey that's important. And this is something Joe and his staff helped uh, their clients to achieve. We think you'll get a lot out of this uh, interview. Uh, We certainly did. And uh, as as you go through, think about uh, some of the things that Joe's saying and think about how you might apply them to your own set, set of activities. Joe uses a phrase that I really love and he says that he, he's helping people pull chunks out of life. So I, I think that pretty much sums up what, what he's trying to do and uh, something for us all to think about when we go into our own activities. Now, just a warning before you go through and listen to this interview, we have rated this episode as explicit. There are a couple of minor swear words that are scattered through the presentation. Nothing major, but just be warned. We hope you enjoy. Okay, so it's a, it's a pleasure to have the opportunity to discuss outdoor passions with Joe Bonington uh, here at Joe's Base Camp in Sydney. Um, and I'll just go through and introduce Joe. And um, uh, uh, Joe, can you just tell us a, a bit about the philosophy of Joe's Base Camp? Yeah, thanks. Um, the philosophy of Joe's Base Camp is 
it's really about ordinary people doing extraordinary things. Um, we, are, I've got, I've got my, my my mission by the door. I know a lot of people have visions and missions and, and all this kind of stuff, but we really, really do. It encompasses all that we're about, and that's really. Uh, providing the opportunity, the training, and the inspiration for people to live a, a fitter, fuller, and more adventurous life. Um, and so, we wanted to create a, a community of of people uh, who want to to get out there and tear chunks out of life. Um, we we focus on outdoor and adventure sports, um, and that. That's everything from uh, I see from being from open water swimming to, to backcountry skiing to trail running to bushwalking to mountaineering uh, to trekking um, and the various bits and pieces in between, you know, mountain biking, uh, etc. And uh, we've managed to build here on the, the northern beaches. We're quite a long way away from the from the mountains. Uh, a great community of, of like-minded people. I think uh, that, that's the thing that amazed me when I first uh, started looking at. Uh, uh, you'd agreed to interview uh, with me, and having a look through the website, I'm used to. Uh, I think a lot of other people are used to having the stock standard gym where you go there, you lift weights, you run on the treadmill. But there's not necessarily a purpose to it. It might be well, I just want to get fit, but but what are you getting fit for? And it's yeah. good to actually see a, uh, a facility where you're coming to coming here for a purpose, uh, yeah. other than just just getting fit and that, that, that's exactly it it's uh, I mean let's face it I'm, I'm in a very very busy industry so it's a very cluttered marketplace out there um, and uh, but I didn't go down this route for that it wasn't you know find a, a USP for the sake of a USP um, I've I was born and raised around adventure um, and I have a passion for training and I have a passion for teaching and for coaching. Um, my kind of character loves sharing those experiences. Um, and so having to being lucky enough to marry all of that together, we, we've come up with this and it, it really is when I see people out there who are, uh, training just for the sake of training uh, or exercising just for the sake of exercising and it, it's no wonder that people you know they talk about falling off the wagon and, and all this kind of stuff whereas ours don't because they, they've got it's, it's, it's for that greater purpose it's for they've got something we train in here so we can actually get out there and do the things we really love doing you know we can get out there and, and go out at the weekends um, the stuff we do in here is going to make all of that so much easier and for, for the novices out there actually give us more confidence if, we can, if I can get somebody in here to do something they didn't think they can do in here in a safe control controlled environment then with a little bit of nudging and a little bit of shoving we can take them into the outdoor environment and show them they can still do so much more out there um i've got this uh this why and the the why that i actually do what i do is 
that you know I do have this real belief that if if we can encourage people to do things in in here that they they couldn't do that we can get them out there we can get them uh, exploring if they explore the environment you can't help but explore yourself um, if we then start exploring ourselves uh, and also the further afield we explore we start bumping into other cultures um, and then that's going to expand our world even more um, and then we find out that our neighbours aren't so uh, different from us and so just from doing things like that becoming more adventurous and living with a more adventurous mindset hopefully the world becomes a better place that's my very big why anyway, so. <laughs> now uh, do you feel that, that the, the background that you have having a Having come from a, a, a family that's into a, adventurous activities and the, and the love of outdoors that you've had, you know, you've also led a number of adventures, uh, most recently uh, over to Everest Base Camp, I believe. Um, does that mean, does that give you a, a better insight into what people are trying to achieve and, and give you a better chance to help people? Yes, most definitely. Um, so, uh, strength and conditioning is a science. And it's, it's, you know, the, the, the science of movement, how if you've got somebody who has to do these kind of movements and use these kind of energy systems in their given sport, um, then what does science show us is the best way to improve that performance? Now, there's not many people uh, in my field, not many people at all, um, who are actually transferring that wealth of knowledge that we've built up um, uh, into outdoor and adventure sports and also there aren't that many people who've actually been there, seen it, done it um, and uh, can actually understand what's involved the difference between what we do in the outdoors and what uh, say the Olympic version of it, it's like the difference between a marathon runner and a, a trail runner um, your trail runners do tend to be slightly sturdier, slightly heavier, uh, slightly larger. Because the, the the thing that we've got in the in the outdoors is we also have we've got all the normal things that the 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 body, the competition, the performance that we've got to to keep up with. But in the outdoors, we've also got the unknown. We've got the elements and uh, and all that part. So we need to be stronger. We need to be. Um, Sturdier, and because I've got an understanding of all of that, you know, if somebody comes to me and says, "Okay, um, I'm crossing the Greenland ice cap," I've got a basic understanding of where I need to go, of the information I need to find out, that what what are the things over and above the physical training, and what's involved for us to be able to put together a training program that's going to help somebody do that. Because you know, somebody looking at it on the outside think might just think, "Oh, it's just." you know pulling a pole on a set of skis across the ice cap but no it's not you know you you hit these these ridge lines and um uh and ice flows and you've got to actually haul you've got to you know you've got to have you've got to be strong uh as well as have just you know unbelievable endurance you know and so uh having my background uh uh, with adventure and that that love and outsta- uh, understanding of the outdoors helps across all of that. Uh, now, as far as um, uh, mental challenges as opposed to physical challenges, um, do you see that um, one is worse than the other, or one is one is more an issue than the other, or are they are they both the same? Or 
Um, no, I think they're. I think they're very different. Um, it's funny when when we first start training someone. Um, I think a lot of the time they are uh, that the challenge is. Um, uh, they struggle with the mental challenges. So they, they struggle with, oh, I can't do this, especially if they're very new to this style of training uh, or if they're very deconditioned and, and just very unfit in general. They're at the, the start of their journey. Um, then there's a lot of mental challenges and then it's the physical challenges get harder once they've got over the, the mental part. At the other end of the spectrum, if we're training somebody who is already well into their journey and is, uh, say, say somebody who's um, uh, doing a big, really big challenge, like climbing Everest or, or something like that. Um, now, they are at a point physically, you, you come to a point physically with, with anything where, where it isn't the... Um, uh, our strength and our endurance that's actually going to be the deciding factor as, as to whether you succeed or not is going to be the mental side. So it's, 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 it's almost the opposite way around. Um, you know, the people who are uh, already fit and are going for the bigger goals, well, for them, we actually need to work out and, and talk around that whole uh, mental part. And so, so we'll, we'll design workouts which actually are mentally challenging. You know, and it, it's you know, if people can stick through that, then then they can they can do it. Um, so, what would be an example of a workout that's mentally challenging for somebody who's quite fit? Different different ways. So, for example, um, some of the ones which we call a grind. So, uh, for Gareth Andrews, who's our uh, polar explorer, so he's done now two polar trips, been to the North Pole once uh, in an unsupported expedition, and then uh, crossed the, the Greenland, uh, Greenland ice cap. Um, actually, setting him up with a, a heavy tyre and uh, a harness system, and having him complete, uh, you know, eight hours of training in a one-day block uh, on a beach. Um, you know, so and that is a grind. That is mentally, you know, you you get. I think you get to to hour three, let alone at the halfway mark, and thinking, oh my god, I can't do this. Um, I think I would have been I've run out of swear words by then. Yeah, yeah, and and that, you know, and then it's all other stuff comes into your mind. Well, well, this is just a tire. It doesn't really pull like a pulk, and oh my god, the sand keeps on catching in it, and 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 all that kind of stuff. And it's mind games. It's you yourself starts putting, and it's just can you get the job done and if you get to the point that yeah I can get the job done you can get the job done um, uh, with our, our Everest uh, summit guys so Steve Bach, Jakob Otting and those guys they've both come back and said that, that at the end of the day it's when you're at that point and all of the physical work is done the only thing that is going to stop you is your mind 
you know. Uh, yeah, I think that's quite interesting. I, um, I've got a, a, an interest and I've got a list of trails on my bucket list to do the, 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 the American long trails at some, some stage, the yeah. Pacific Crest PCT Trail and, and things yeah. like that. And, and certainly the, uh, they, they say about the first week, 25% of people drop out from a physical perspective. And then it's the mental, the mental challenge that tends yeah. to take people out after that. Yeah, um, yeah. It, I, I think it, it, it definitely is. And on those, uh, I mean, traditionally in the, in the mountains, just because of the way that, that everything is, that the, the summit days are those really, really long days when we need to get you up, um, get you as high as we can before the sun gets up. Um, because as soon as the sun gets up, everything's going to start going soft, you know, and it, it starts getting dangerous, etc. So, you know, th- those big days, uh, you know, the, the summit day on Everest is, is like 22 hours long, you know, and that is, at, you know, 8,000 meters. You're uh, absolutely delirious with the with the lack of air. You're shattered. You've been, you know, you've been working hard for days. Um, and you've just got to be able to to dig deep, and it's also then also the mind playing games on you, going, am I digging deep because this is the sensible thing to do because I can do this, or hold on, am I going too far, and do I is there a point when I actually have to turn back, and that's when the the whole trying to make these decisions in that hypoxic environment is, uh, yeah to play mind games with me. I suppose it's, it's one thing sort of summiting Everest just as a group when there's someone else can say, hang on a sec, you're not, you're, you need to stop, as opposed to doing it yourself. Yeah. Uh, and you're it, you make the wrong decision. Uh, you, it may be your last decision. Exactly. Um, so, yeah. and, I, and I think for a lot of uh, a lot of hikers and a lot of people just doing the, not necessarily the really adventurous sort of stuff, but even hiking the overland track, being able to decide when is enough enough. Yeah. And I must admit, we, uh, we did the overland track track in February this year. Uh, we tried to get up um, Cradle Mountain. Uh, we got about a third of the way up and the mountain was just whited out. Mm-hmm. And we thought, we'd like to go up, but it's probably not the safest thing to do. Yeah. And we actually talked to someone a few days later and they said they actually took the wrong route coming down. And if you take the wrong route going down off Cradle Mountain, you can have a very large drop. Yeah. So he was just fairly lucky in that respect. And, th- th- and that's it. I think there's... There's a difference between uh, being adventure and common sense and not listening to, to common sense. You know, so your experience adventure, uh, your, your adventure is adventure is doing a challenge or a task which has an element of the unknown. Okay, and then it is knowing what risks are and taking calculated risks uh, around them, calculating what the risks are, seeing what you can do to minimize those risks, and then deciding whether you need to go for it or not, um, which is very different. And, and it's uh, some people's adventure to other people is, is foolhardiness. But, you know, I, I think your, your true adventurer is, is making wise decisions with the information they've got and like doing that so so whether uh and this is the same over here or, or back in the uk you know the amount of people who unfortunately still die in the lake district die in um in the scottish highlands die on ben nevis uh, or on snowden because of making really really bad decisions uh in an environment that they don't see because it's on their back door as being 
a dangerous situation and, uh, and, and going and making them. Whereas you'd have the most experienced adventurer in the world who, who's summited Everest, etc., would say, no, the, uh, it's a back of Cradle Mountain, there's a big drop, it's a whiteout, we need to turn back. Yeah. Does having a goal just beyond getting fit help your, cli- help your uh, clients achieve what they want to do? Yes, yes. In, in, in short, yes. So when um, uh, it's getting back to, to what we were saying before, the, uh, the, if people are just focusing on just getting fit um, and, and there is no fit for what or, or, or fit, then it, it's... So look, some people can keep going like that, but, but it, it's a lot harder to do. Um, and I think if we've got a goal, if we've got a, a larger entity, a larger thing that we're, we're training for, if we have purpose, um, we're a lot more... We're with higher stakes at the end of the day. Okay, so it's the difference between, okay... Uh, do you want to lose five kilos to look good in a, a bikini or a swimsuit or, or you know swim shorts this this summer, um, or do you want to uh, be fit because you've just laid down uh, five thousand dollars in fares and uh, trekking permits etc. Because you're going to Everest Base Camp, and you actually want to, to get up there, enjoy being up there, and actually survive it. You know, and there's very, very different motivators. And um, so, yes, having a goal uh, really, really, really does help. All right. Now, do you think, um, given enough time or adequate time, can people achieve their goals? And if so, how do you keep them on track? Is, you know, is there any such thing as spending too much time training uh, in advance? So as an example, if you were planning on doing Everest, you, you, you would obviously have in your mind, for most people, they would need to start doing something a year out, 18 months out. Or is there, if someone says, look, I want to do Everest in two months' time, is that realistic or...? You know? Yeah, okay. So, uh, yes, yeah, so this, this is actually a really, really good question. Um, with, with training and the, the way that we we work uh we run what's called a gpp program so that means general physical prep so if somebody who's is training here has just come back from a trip hasn't planned their next trip or if they have arrived with us and they haven't got a goal or uh, yet um uh then we put them into the into a basic GPP. It's like a holding pattern, um, and general physical prep. We get people doing improving their base level aerobic fitness, um, and then building a strength foundation, and you know using big compound functional movements uh, that multi joint. Uh, movements that are going to help strengthen the fascia and the connective tissue. Um, uh, for them to just just be that little bit closer because when if we're going for a goal say that goal is 18 months out when we actually start on the process on the ladder to getting there we actually want to be it's hard to do in front of just a microphone but I'm, I'm trying to Where lay out here you? I've got here I've got my coffee cup at one end of the table I've got my uh coffee mug at the other end of the table so I've created a scale along in front of me now 
we want to be half, I've got my pencil here, we want to be halfway, okay, as to where we need to be. We don't want to be all the way back here next to my coffee cup. Um, and we don't want to be all year round all the way up here because that's uh, near our peak fitness because that's going to end up, uh, we're going to end up with fatigue, we're going to end up with injuries. We, we can't keep up that intensity. And this is the, the problem with the way a lot of people who get into the gym, etc., train or, or get into recreational uh, running and stuff train, they just spend the whole time going at the best of their abilities so they just go every time they go for a run they want to try and go as fast as they can that run now if you look at if we train uh, athletes who are you know their livelihood their income depends on their performance they only spend a small portion of their time before competition absolutely peaking and everything before that is either laying foundations building cycling then we peak before whatever competition it is, and then we go. And you can apply exactly the same principles to, to any outdoor and adventure sport. You know, so um, for example, if we're training somebody for a, a trek or for a, a multi-stage walk, um, we then we start them out uh, with a, a base. We then build on their base. We then have a phase which we call the climb phase, which kind of transitions between the base and the peak. And then we have the peak phase. So imagine on the base phase, we might be getting up there with volume, with walking uh, and stuff, but we're only uh, carrying light loads, maybe 5% of body weight, etc. Um, and then uh, we start to ramp it up during the climb phase. Uh, we might be going... 10%, 15% of body weight. And then when we get to the peak phase, that's when we're doing the 20% of body weight. Uh, that's when we're doing uh, our really high intensity uh, work that you only want to do for between four and eight weeks before, uh, before your trip. Um, especially with things like what we call uphill sports. A lot of the time we're ha having to carry load uh, on our backs. Now, carrying load on our backs is great. Carrying load downhill again isn't. No, it's not my favourite thing no. to do. <laughs> and and the, the thing is, we have to do it. So when we're out there in the middle of nowhere, we, we have to carry. We have to carry up. We have to carry down. But our knees can actually only take so much. So we don't want to, in training, be loading the knees with heavy loads all the way through the truck. You know, so in the old days, people said, oh, if you're going to walk, just get out, put a pack on and walk. Um, and there's a lot of people, unfortunately, who, whose whole uh, enjoyment of adventure has been cut short because now their knees are, are absolutely shot. You know, and uh, you know, and, and there's plenty and plenty of climbers as well. So um, uh, people like Doug Scott, who uh, was summited the southwest face of uh, Everest in 1975, uh, and he's now had uh, two knee replacements and uh, and uh, and all this. And, and you know, he had to stop his trekking quite a quite a while ago from years and years of carrying heavy loads up and down trails. I must admit, I uh, uphill 
on the flat, not a problem. Downhill, this yeah. is, this is, I, I slow right down, and, and certainly the, the, the tracking poles have made a big difference for me. It just takes a lot of the weight off. Massive. Now, so, okay, can I? I'll, I'll give a couple of quick tips here. So, if we can, you know, in, in the whole of this uh, podcast, if there's a couple of bits of, of information that I can give away, is uh, use poles. Poles are brilliant. Now, and I, I, you know, here I am. I'm, I'm very obviously, I'm an Englishman. Um, and living and training Australians. Um, and I don't know whether it's uh, a machismo thing or, or whatever, but poles are not half as popular here, even a quarter as popular as they are in Europe. Um, and I do think people, oh, no, 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 I don't want poles. You know, they, you know and it's the, the science, just go on science. The science shows if you want to keep walking for, for the whole of your life and bushwalking and doing some great things, you can save up to 30% of the load through the knees yeah. uh, on downhill um, by using poles. You know, even if you just take them with you, carry them until you get to the downhill, but use bloody poles. Um, they, they really do make a massive difference. Um, the other thing is uh, during training, if you do want to train uh, for something, if you've got a big hill near you and a water source, a great tri- uh, tip is get a dry bag. Um, and if you're doing what we call pack training, so where you are loading a pack with different weights and, and carrying it somewhere, um, get a big dry bag. Fill it with roughly at a river or from a tap or whatever with uh, the amount of water to create roughly the amount of weight that you want. Walk up the hill uh, as hard as you can and then empty it at the top. Go back down again with an empty pack with no load. Fill it up again, start again and go to the top. We actually had someone we met on the Larapinta Trail last year. He went to uh, Coles, I think it was, and bought one of the, the 10 kilo water jugs mm. and, and, and just put that in his pack rather than putting a, a metal weight or something like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and it worked quite well for him. That's, that, that's, uh, that's a definitely really, really good tip. The other thing there as well is if you are pack training, please, please, please make sure you pack your pack like you were packing a yeah. pack. Uh, the amount of people who stuff their backs up because they let, you know, putting a kettlebell or putting a, a 10 kilo plate in a pack and just letting it sit there is not like, ten, uh, is not like a tent, your gear, you know, all your bits and pieces, your food and all that. So what we tend to do is we get lots of towels and we'll get uh, uh, bags of rice and put the a towel, bag of rice, towel, bag of rice, towel, bag of rice, towel, bag of rice. So if you're doing that style of pack loading, you can do it like that. I must admit, I, I, I definitely agree on that one. I've seen so many people that do get the, the plate weights into there, and it's just, it, it doesn't represent what you're really doing in the real world. No, no. And it, it, it teaches about, you know, you, you, a pack should be well-fitted, um, and when you've got a plate like that, it's, it's not, it's not going to sit right on the hips. It's, it's, it's a disaster. I must admit, I mean, as I've gotten older, I, um, the, probably the biggest thing I've noticed is I, my fitness is still pretty good, but when I injure myself, it takes me longer to repair. Yeah. Whereas as a 20-year-old, you know, it'd be a matter of days, I'd be back, back and doing what I wanted to again. Yeah. And I, I've been much more conscious over the last few years of trying to strip the weight down and what I'm carrying, uh, looking at how I can do things smarter, yeah. not necessarily harder. Yeah. Um, 
and it makes a big difference. Oh, yeah, I, I agree. That, and that's totally... I mean, I, I can remember going on, on uh, treks and trips, uh, um, you know, 20 years ago, and, you know, for, just for the sake of it, chucking, chucking an extra boulder in the top, top of my pack and, and, and stuff like that. Whereas now, uh, I spend a lot more time getting myself going in the morning, a lot more time stretching, mobilising. You know, I, I take... Now, instead of taking a, an extra rock uh, with me, I'll take a massage ball. Yeah. <laughs> so, so. We, we've started doing that the last couple of years as well. Yeah. You know, and even to the point of, you know, okay, massage ball weighs too much, we'll use a golf ball. Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. The, the, another great tip for that as well is instead of a, a roller, so if you use a, a metal drink bottle, um, and uh, metal drink bottles make really, really, really good massage um, massage rollers. So instead of a foam roller, okay, that's a, it's a, something I haven't thought about because I'm normally not a big fan of the metal water bottles, but yeah. they obviously have another use. Yeah, yeah, sig, sig water bottle with uh, yeah for, for rolling ITBs, adductors, and and uh, all right. Um, now, as far as um, a trainee is concerned, can you give us a bit of indication or a bit of an idea about the, what the process is that you go through when clients come, uh, come through? to Joe's base camp and, and want to train with you. Okay, so um, uh, it's a very, very thorough process, you know, because we're, we're talking, especially when we talk about goals which have a, an element of, of risk, we want to make sure that we really, really get it get it right. Um, so the, the process is we, we sit down first and we have what we call a, a BAR session, which is uh, it's basically a... a uh, BAR stands for Base Camp Actionable Results, and it's basically a, a strategy session around the goals. Um, some people turn up with, and when you dig deep, the goals aren't actually really their goals, and then we need to really actually question as to uh, whether this is something they really do want to pursue with whether they, the outcome is something that they really, really want, uh, etc. So we sit down, we do our uh, our BAR session, and um, and we'll go over the the goals process, how long we've got, when it is. You know, if, if they come to me and uh, they are deconditioned, carrying some weight, maybe got some inflammation, niggling injuries, and it's uh, and they're saying they want to. Uh, I don't know, do the um, Everest Base Camp in, in two months. And we, we do get that. We get people coming in and say, okay, oh, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm booked in to do the Kokoda in a month's time for a charity fundraiser. Oh, I haven't really had my eye on, on it. That's stuff going on from work. Can you help me? So. Um, Is that yeah, a yes or a no? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, oh there, there I can help a bit, but <laughs> here are the realities of the situation you're in. Um, and, uh, you know, and so work out, okay, so what is, or, uh, you know, and if it is, if they've set it up too close, are they in a situation where we can actually give them what we see as being a realistic time frame, or have they already paid for their flights? Um, and then from there, we have uh, uh, these training skeletons that we then uh, give them, which the skeleton will actually outline our expectations of what we'd like to see them uh, in a perfect world achieve week by week. Um, and I, I mean, I have been doing this for 20 years, and, and, and so I've seen uh, in the old days how people would give 
people a program. They'd write a program. On Monday, we do this. Tuesday, we do that. Wednesday's a rest day. Thursday's do that. Now, like, like I said before, none of my guys are professional adventurers. None of my guys are making a living out of this. Yes, we've got Everest Summiters. We've got people crossing the... the um, uh, the ice shelf and, and, and everything in between multi-stage races but they're all working people they're professionals they've got kids they've got bloody great mortgages they've got stuff going on they've got relationship pro- problems they've got you know all the, the real world stuff that goes on and and those kind of fixed programs just aren't um, aren't practical so what we've done is I've deconstructed what we need to do and give an optimum this is what I'd like you to achieve across these disciplines uh, in a week and then you see what you can do out of that you know and if we can get 75% of it done I think we're on a winner uh, so we we get uh, so we take them through the, the skeletons uh, we give them uh, all their uh, nutritional advice as well so we have um, uh, eating plans which are performance based uh, that we then uh, give to them as well and then tell them look, which classes what types of training they need to, to do in here um, uh, strength training is the big overlooked part of endurance sports and we're coming there's, um, there's not that many people in my field uh, who specialize in uh, outdoor and adventure sports um, and who've got the background in sports-based strength and conditioning you know who've worked with team sports have worked with with track and field etc um, and putting that science over to it you know at the end of the day science doesn't actually lie science can't lie so if we can apply the double blinds um, studies and, and etc and, and what has been done in sports based strength and conditioning we can show that if we do these we can improve our performance and I don't want to take away people say oh but it's you know at the end of the day it's just about walking and it's yes it is now we don't want to take away it's not taking away the enjoyment of that it's actually adding to that if we do these things we can actually get out and do that more we can do it you know if we're competitive and into competitive outdoor sports we can do it harder um we can do it longer and we can do it at much less uh, chance of injury you know if we're strong through our hips, back, pelvis, uh, if we've got uh, strengthened hamstrings, etc., we've got a lot less chance of getting some of the injuries that people see that, you know, even if somebody takes a tumble and maybe steps sideways and foot slips off a, a wet rock and they jar themselves whilst trying to recover. Now, for somebody who isn't uh, strong through all their stabilizers, etc., that could actually end up meaning uh, tearing some ligaments um, or just um, getting a nasty sprain etc but if we're generally what I call robust um, then that's going to to make us uh, a lot less chance uh, of injuring ourselves in what you know if that happens to you 10 days into a two-week trip you know you could be in a world of trouble um, so anyway, so we then get them uh, going. We, we uh, build a very strong 
uh, strength foundation and then we build their aerobic function in this day and age with with training everybody's got excited over the last few years by high intensity training things like crossfit have come out and, and stuff like that which is great and they've done a lot for fitness um and they've actually focused fitness they've turned fitness into a sport in its own right um which is has been great um but uh training at high intensity consistently is not the right thing for what your endurance athlete needs to do and and for that matter a lot of general pop you know adds to to injury etc so uh in the long term so we get people focusing on building a strength foundation. We use Pareto's principle, which is the 80-20 rule, uh, around all their endurance training. So spend 80% of your time working sub-maximally, getting out, walking, um, running if you're into trail running, etc. but working at that lower end, and spend 20% of your time uh, working at high intensity. Um, that's, your, you know, your big hill repeats, you know, End up ending up as a gibbering wreck on the ground at the end of, of 10 sprints etc um, and then do strength training everybody I don't care who they are and whether you're into the outdoors or not into the outdoors should be doing a minimum of two strength sessions a week and that's not light reps low low weights that's everybody should be lifting heavy Girls especially. I think that's been one of the old the old thing that sort of that's been around for years that particularly women don't like lifting weights because they don't want to big build muscles. Oh, and uh, it's, it's they can't. Yeah. They they can't. I mean we we've got some very strong uh athletes and we've got some some people that we we work with and um who are very strong looking girls and that the reason why they are so strong is they've gone into the the uh, the competitions and bikini competitions and stuff they are training twice a day day in day out for years to do that uh you know the the we've got we've all got these things called hormones you know we've got very testosterone dominant Women have testosterone as well, but it's masked by uh, estrogen, suppressed by estrogen. Um, and uh, if we didn't have those, we wouldn't be a human race because there'd be no sex drive whatsoever. Um, and uh, girls, the estrogen actually stops us getting very muscular, you know, and it, it's, it's so hard unless you're, you're you know, uh, taking substances that you you shouldn't be taking which i don't think anybody in our kind of sports uh is into um for for, for women to get like that and also the, the thing is as well lifting heavy is not actually about building muscle um lifting heavy is low reps with big rests which is another thing that some people can't get their heads around and it's actually training the nervous system it, it's training the body strength is about how well the nervous system recruits the muscle fibers uh, uh to lift things it is not about the size of the muscles and that's that's the big fallacy getting people to understand their basic so um so then with our process as well so yeah so we then um, we test, we, we assess everybody. Um, like I said, we're performance based, so it's, it's about uh, getting, we're here to see people perform better, not break people. And if people have got underlying issues, we need to identify those quickly. And we're really lucky here. So I've chosen a team 
our guys aren't just there's a big difference between strength and conditioning coaches and personal trainers our guys aren't personal trainers they're qualified as personal trainers uh, but they've also they've got degrees in exercise science they've majored in sports based strength and conditioning they've got a history of working um, professionally in those sports uh, sorry in uh, those industries as well um, one of our guys also he's got a degree in physiotherapy as well so we've got this wealth of knowledge about uh, biomechanics and the, the science behind it rather than um, a lot of personal trainers that they've come out of an eight week course and it's uh, it's, it's it creates this um, industry of uh, what we call exertainment exercise entertainment rather than purpose focused um, you know if we achieve this we can do this so yeah that, that's that's our process really it, it's uh it's very thorough uh and it's good fun i mean that the thing we, we get into that science of it but we uh it's doing it in a way that people can see what they're doing getting their gains it's all class-based so everybody trains in together works together and um and play together as well. There's a, a bunch of them. In fact, we've got 20 girls out on a girls' lunch right now um, down in Manly, and uh, the boys are letting the side down. Apparently, there's only six boys out. So, <laughs> <laughs> From a general point of view, I mean, do you ever get people that come in who, whatever their goals, whatever their motivation, they just can't get there? You know, you, you've, you, you can push them along they're, they're trying to do the right thing but they just they, you, 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 they're never going to make it um, if okay if if there's something biomechanically wrong that's that has come up um, and uh, you know unfortunately you know if somebody has got uh, copped an injury or, or something like that either uh, uh at home, in here, out on the trails, whatever, then then that has uh, caused issues or got to the point where we've told them, look, I think you need to, to really look at this and postpone. Um, there's, if somebody is mechanically sound, no matter where they are uh, in their fitness journey, if we've set everything up right from the start there is no reason why they can't um we i mean we have a whole process that we go through uh with people from start to to finish um and if all those boxes have been ticked and that that goes from is the mindset right to uh to everything have we have we done the goal uh etc then that then there's no reason why they haven't. The, the only other thing around that would be would be attitude, um, and that uh, we can train absolutely everything, but we can't train a crappy attitude. You know, and uh, and that that will hold 
for some people back I'm afraid but yeah if, if it comes down to that we, we have a cut out a cut off point and uh, I don't know if I, I can say this on, on this podcast but I mean we do have a, we have a, a, a strong no assholes policy in the gym um, and that sounds uh, like a good it, it is it is we do like you know we, we, we can't do that at work <laughs> yeah, I know I know, I know. but um, you know because it, it does it, it affects the morale of, uh, of everybody um, and if somebody has got the wrong attitude we'd actually rather not see them on the trails to yeah. be to be honest yeah. you know and uh, I think that the great thing is though in general people who are attracted to the outdoors um, normally have got have got some good characteristics going for them but that's not saying everybody I mean I've, I've met some uh, real adventurers and adventurous types who uh, do have uh, yeah, some poor social skills. But, um, yeah. I, was, I must admit, I was just thinking, uh, yeah, normally the people we see on two or three week long hikes, we don't see too many of those. I think, I think that if, you, if you're willing to do that sort of length of hike, you tend to have a slightly better attitude. But, yeah. So yeah. we've been lucky so far in that respect. Yeah. yeah. All right. What's the importance from your perspective of, of diet in, a, in an effective training regime? Uh, Nutrition is really important. So, so we have a, a hierarchy of, of things, and, uh, and nutrition's actually uh, up there. You know, so like right up there at the top. Um, bad training in itself um, won't kill you as quickly as a really bad diet will. You know, so we. Uh, we encourage we we have a whole thing about uh, I don't know if, you, if you've heard the phrase jerf just eat real food yeah, yeah. so yeah. so we are we are around that we do kind of tend to lean towards uh, I'm not going to call it paleo a more primal uh, way of eating within the the gym and I, I know that the whole paleo thing is either polarizes people um, uh, and it just makes a lot of common sense to to us in in what we've read and uh, the the people out there who uh, we know are performing at their best um, in both a professional and recreational capacity. So so we tend to eat uh, plenty of of good organic or, or pasture fed meats, lots of greens, tons of vegetables. Um, uh, not many grains, not much dairy, lots of fat, plenty of fat. Yeah. I mean, that, that's the, the one thing that we really struggle with people shying away from. I think people are getting a lot better educated now. But, you know, fat is a very, very important part of the diet. So we don't do low-fat anything. Um, I think I think particularly I'm doing uh, long long sort of trails and things like that. I mean I've just done an article on uh, on snacks and some of them aren't, aren't overly healthy. But you know you look at things like macadamia nuts, which are almost yes. 700 calories per 100 grams. Yes. It's just you know how can you carry lots of calories without carrying the weight? Yeah, well that, um, that's it. And we so we survive off this. This is uh, this is my my fat coffee. Uh, so this is butter coffee. So I've, I've got coffee in here that's got both a combination of uh, oil. And organic grass-fed butter, um, and uh, so we 
power ourselves along with uh, with with lots of lots of that. Um, and there's this whole thing now. It's a lot easier to get hold of in the states, but uh, you know the whole trail scene and and, and endurance scene is, is being. You know, people over for years have been smashing goo and 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 gels with really high carbohydrate, very synthetic. Um, and they taste awful. I know, <laughs> but not, not just that. There's, there's, a, there's actually a spike amongst retired triathlete, uh, triathletes and uh, triathlon uh, exponents uh, with type two diabetes oh. because years and years of smashing such a high level of sugar in in all their events because their events are long they're, and their training's long. Yeah. Their their simple sugars that that, that they're having during the week is is higher than you know the people that you'd expect you know kind of walking around with a with a big gut with a maccas and stuff that they, they these guys uh they might look really really fit um but on the inside they're filled with inflammation and they're loaded with sugar and, and all that so um whereas now people are getting into you know training at a lower zone one um, trying to, to encourage the lipolytic uh, the fat burning energy system by having good fats like MCT oil, coconut oil which help release fat as a fuel, elevate the ketones in the body um, and all that, so that, that's the kind of way that we go down, is encourage everybody, you know, just have a good, healthy, whole food, home cooked diet uh, don't go mad on uh, on the grains, do try and avoid sugar. Yeah. Um, and um, yeah. Oh, that's good. Um, okay, so along with doing a lot of the training, you also um, uh, take people on trips. And I believe you just come back from um, Everest Base Camp over the last three or four weeks, I think you got back. Yeah. Um, could you tell us a bit more about the trip and, and how people cope with the challenges? So, with the. Um, um, yeah, the, the trip was absolutely awesome. I had a, a really, really good trip. Uh, we took uh, 17 people over. That's including, uh, I take a, a doctor on our trips as well. And um, Everest Base Camp, I mean, it's, uh, it's an iconic uh, trip. It's, it's, kind of, it's on a lot of people's bucket lists. Um, and it's, it's our way of showing, getting people started um, and because I think once people have been there, for, for the people who went on our trip, only one had been to uh, on, a, on a, a trek before, been to altitude before. Um, none of them had been to Nepal or, or that kind of region. Um, and the, the the trip went really well. The the the, the members who went were uh, they trained uh, to varying degrees. Um, and uh, it's, it's very, very interesting when you're uh, when you're up there, just watching and seeing how people react. I warned them all at the, the start that you know, on these trips, when you're you're wet, you're cold, uh, you're tired, you're unsure of yourself, you actually really, really start to see, you know. Uh, what people are like, you know, people's true colours come out and, and stuff because all of the, the facade is stripped away. You're too tired for the facade. Um, and uh, what was really good, I, I think, is a testament to the 
to what we do here is having this great bunch of people that they've trained together um, and uh, have known each other for over a couple of years to then go and do this together and share this with each other that when those times came up it doesn't become a deal breaker you know if you go on a, a trip with a big travel company etc you, you can end up you know with complete strangers and you don't know who you're going to end up with or, or what it's going to be yes we've done that oh yeah oh, right. <laughs> and yeah. we come out the other end going oh my god can we get away from this yeah yeah so so with well, with this you know we had lots of people pulling together and and people who might be if they'd been thrown in with some people maybe not have been as forgiving um, and that made it really, really good. People are really supportive because there's an emotional connection all the way through. Um, we had, I'm not going to mention any names, but we had uh, uh, one person with me who, um, you know, before the trip, some people have been worried about, you know, oh, look, is, it, is he going to, to make it, etc. And, um and I don't know, I don't know if reading between the lines that they were worried about their own trip and how that would affect their trip, etc. Um, but this person, you know, he's carrying a fair bit of weight um, and, and has done for, for a while. And we've got him down a lot and he worked really, really, really hard. But, you know, he's still over 115 kilos. Um, and uh, he made it. You know, and uh, and he got all the way up to Everest Base Camp. And then there you've got me, who's the experienced trek leader, um, and uh, and I got kiboshed by uh, altitude mountain sickness, um, and actually had to to miss out on the 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 last day, and which is a real shame because I wanted to be there and see uh, this guy uh, get get up there. Because for me, it's about it's about that. It's, it's seeing people realizing they're doing stuff that they didn't think they could do um so that was a, a great win um and then we had uh we had two people as well as me get get sick so we had one girl got sick she'd actually was the only person who'd been to altitude before and suffered from ams before on a, a previous trip uh and unfortunately it happened again so i took her down and it was during that that i got sick so i because we're pushed for time because it's a set itinerary so i'd taken her down and i had to come back up because we hadn't got uh with one member of staff going down mm -hmm. to stay down with her um uh i had one of my uh other guides uh, two of my other guides at the uh with the rest of my group so they went ahead so i had to uh, go from where we'd come down from and then overtake and go back up to the next uh, station i think i'd i pushed it a bit too too hard and so i got sick that night uh and then one of the other lads uh who's actually one of our fitter lads he's a he's a pretty fit guy and then uh but he does have he has a blood disorder so i'm not sure you know maybe that affected it maybe not maybe just look at the draw uh and he started coming down with uh ams reasonably quickly and it had been going on whilst I'd been with this other girl so I got back up there and we gave him some uh, intravenous dexamethasone and, and uh, uh, once you've given dex to somebody they it's not like diamox you, you can't carry on you can't go back down and come back up if you've given them diamox that's it it's game over so we knew he was going down um, and it was 
probably it was it was a good thing. I got mild AMS, but it was uh, I think it was a good thing for me to go down uh, with him as well. Anyway, so it was maybe a blessing in, in disguise that I had actually got sick because he was. You don't know what you don't know, and if it's uh, AMS. Uh, is very easily solvable and if you get somebody down you know the uh, oxygen saturation in the blood starts recovering very quickly etc um, but likewise if you stay up there or if you start going the wrong way and ignoring the symptoms it can get very very ugly very quickly um, and uh, yeah so anyway so I went back uh, I went back down with uh, with him um, but what was great was that talking about it afterwards, you know, he still had, he was very philosophical about it and was very, you know, luck of the draw, wants to come on our next trip uh, with us, which is uh, back up into the Himalayas. And, uh, you know, he didn't let that put him off the, the whole cultural experience and, and the journey for him. It was the journey, the training, the trip itself, uh, etc. And I, I think um, a little bit of what we experienced on the overland track was... Um, people being there saying I'm here and I have to do this so I will go up to Cradle Mountain when it's a whiteout and I will climb some of the other peaks when you know I could be blown off the the hill at any moment and um you know I don't know maybe it's a perspective maybe it's an age thing but we we sort of stood back and went well why would you do that you know why would you do that but a lot of people quite inexperienced people and I guess it's coming back to the beginning of the conversation about that judgment and the common sense that you know they were doing things because they were there because it was almost like I've paid okay, and I'm here I know and that that has killed a lot of people you know and that that's and that, that's one of the getting getting a little bit off track with with bushwalking but that but that's one of the the major issues around commercial mountaineering um that's that's you know is is causing problems and how you manage that because I think commercial mountaineering with Everest and, and all that has its place because I think um, like we were talking before the interview about about people having the right to um, to, to access these places of, of beauty and, and climbing Everest is is exactly the same uh, we just need to manage how we uh, how we do it better but people uh climbing everest and and think right oh, i've paid fifty thousand dollars to do this i'm not going to get a chance to do this again I've, I've got to go um and uh you know no amount of money is is worth it you know and i, I don't and some people blame the industry as oh in that case we should just ban, ban commercial climbing it's it, it's wrong you know and the, the whole kind of the film sherpa kind of led to led to all that but but in, in actual fact, you know, it's, it's no. Everybody's got a right to 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 see the wild places. Everybody's got a, a right to try and do their their goals. And we've just got to manage how we do it. And if we do it cleverly, we can actually do it for the betterment of the environments that we're going into. You know, this whole thing like the national parks and and all this, which are cash strapped and starved of funds. And and um, uh, you know, if if we allowed uh, commercialization in, in certain areas or, or tried to promote certain areas of business within the parks um, then uh, then we could actually provide money for doing some 
uh, wide-sweeping uh, bushland restoration projects, uh, some feral management, uh, etc., which is not being done by any way, shape, or for- form. Uh, no, I think, I think you're right the there. I think it's. Um, I mean, one of the biggest issues that seems to be occurring at the moment is they're talking about the uh, the South Coast track in Tasmania. They're going to mm. turn it into a version of the the Overland track, mm. and it's not because they want to make money. So many people are doing it now. Yeah. They're, they're damaging the track so badly. Yeah. They've got to do it for the sake of the track. Yeah. But it then changes the experience. Yeah. So it's it's better off to better off to do that and, and maybe fly people into remote areas and, and charge them more for it and keep the areas protected. Yeah. Uh, and limit who goes in there. But that, that, that's um, it. If I, I I personally think that doing it like that rather than uh, building infrastructure within that space but it, it's how you can then you know if you charge people instead uh, charge people instead to go there uh, and then use that money to uh, correct uh, damage to, to uh, um, uh, work on some environmental projects down there I think otherwise the, you know if it ends up as a boardwalk experience totally changes it it does yeah all right. Um, that's the last couple of questions. Um, I believe also you've got a, a thing called the Adventurers Club. Would you like to, to give us a bit of information about that? Oh, so our, our Adventurers Club, um, that's where we're sitting now. So it, it's when we fill them, we, we're in a very big space. We've got 800 square metres of, of floor. And I thought, what can we do? I didn't just want to fill it with more equipment. We wanted to, to create... Uh, and help add to this sense of this kind of this club of like-minded people so so we had this kind of uh tassie oak uh stage uh built and it is somewhere where we have on the, on the third friday of every month um we'll have uh it's always internal we don't use it external speakers uh one of our members who's done something that we feel other members would like to hear about in the outdoor adventure piece, um, uh, we'll do a, a talk, and it, but it's not like a kind of stand in front presentation. It's very, very interactive. So yeah, we do you know slide and PowerPoint, but it's it's a chance for us to ask questions. Oh well, how did you cope with this? How did you do that? So we can learn off each other, and hopefully as well inspire some of the newbies who are thinking, oh god, I I couldn't do anything like that. But then if they see what the person is like who's actually gone and done it and that they're a, a 45 year old mother of two or, or uh they're you know normal. they're they yeah they're, they're normal they're, they're not weird weird freaks yeah exactly you know they 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 you know they're a, a financial planner who who you know um or an accountant an accountant yeah so um and um and it's working really, really well. We, we've got, a, we've had some great talks, and and uh, and we, we always start at the same. So I've got my little bar over here, and um, we uh, we start it with a with a, a toast with a with a nice scotch, and we we start everybody whether you like scotch or not, everybody gets a scotch, and, and we and we just do uh, do a toast to tearing chunks out of life, and uh, and then we we have our have our chat. And then we've got here up on the wall is, is all our, our members and, and, and where they've been and, and what they've done. And, and, you know, we've got everything from uh, Kate here who's into kayaking. She's um, kayaked from Patagonia to um, around the, um, the Galapagos to the Grand Canyon. Um, uh, Gareth, our polar explorer. Uh, 
Henry, who's actually um, uh, a shareholder uh, in the business, who, who he came to me originally because he wanted to walk the Kokoda with some some uh, some mates, and um, and uh, he absolutely loved uh, what we did, and we became friends uh, after that. And uh, you know, he turned around to me one day and, and said, "Look, you know, it's heard about all these dreams and visions and, and all this," and said, "Look, I think you've got an absolutely fantastic concept. Look, let's really see if we can." Uh, um, see if we can turn it into something. I think his his, uh, his words at the time were, "Look, let, let's uh, we'll uh, we'll burn bright or go home." <laughs> so, and then uh, we're still burning. But um, yeah, so so that's that's the the adventurers club. Oh, and we've also got our, our rum doodles. We've got up here on the wall uh, the signatures of our rum doodle members. Is is if you've summited Everest, uh, you can actually train here for free, and that's based on there's a, a, a restaurant in Kathmandu that actually offers the same called the Rum Doodle, um, that offers the same to Everest summiters, and uh, we thought, oh, that's that's a good idea, and uh, so we stole it and stole the name, so we have a Rum Doodle membership as well. That sounds really good. All right, and just as the last question, uh, what would your takeaway message be to people who uh, want to? Uh, Look at taking on something of you know a dream they've always had, or tick off something off their bucket list. Where, where, where what's your takeaway message for that one? Is plan. So you know, so a dream without a plan is is just a dream. You know, and it, it's actually start planning, um, have a look at the goal, search out somebody else who's done it or done something similar, talk to them, uh, find some support, uh, and then actually. Take it apart uh, bit by bit um, and then make it happen. All right, that's good. Is there anything else you wanted to add or, or uh, anything else that I should have asked you that's, uh, that's probably uh, worthwhile mentioning? No, no, I, I, think, uh, I think that's it. I think it's just, you know, it, it's worth getting fit and training for, for all um, for all outdoor and adventure sports, for, for bushwalking, for trekking, for kayaking, uh, whatever you do, it's going to make things uh, better, easier, uh, and more fun. Um, we just don't do it to the point that you actually don't have time to get out into the bush. <laughs> really, otherwise you're defeating the object of it. Okay, well, thanks very much. To, so we've been talking to, to Joe Bonington from Joe's Base Camp, uh, and uh, I hope everyone's enjoyed that. So thanks very much for your time, Joe. Awesome, thank you. Thanks very, very much for uh, talking to me. What a fantastic discussion that was, and we were really privileged that Joe gave us his time to go through and talk to him about preparing for uh, uh, tracking or any other adventures in the outdoors. There are a number of takeaways that we picked up from that, and these were use hiking poles. Um, when you're training with your pack, uh, don't use weights, plate weights or kettlebells as many people do. It's not realistic and it is going to damage your back. Uh, so use a realistic pack when you're going through and training. Jerf, just eat real food. Um, exp- a, that's a pretty simple one, I think, um, but sometimes we forget that. <laughs> Anything real, it's okay to eat. <laughs> um, experience is knowing when to stop. Um, plan. A dream without a plan is just a dream. Strength and conditioning is a science you apply to particular movements or a set of movements. 
GPP, general physical preparation, important uh, in going through and preparing for any any activity. And also that everybody, not just guys, should do strength training. And uh, as, as I started with this interview, I'll finish with the same uh, phrase from Joe. Uh, let's just pull chunks out of life. Okay. So that's all for uh, today's episode. Uh, next week, we're back to uh, our regular episodes. And next week's topic is going to be first aid kits and hiking. As usual, this podcast is available to download from the Australian Hiker website through SoundCloud, through iTunes and Stitcher. To help us get the message out there, please go through and rate us on iTunes. We hope you've enjoyed uh, and we'll see you next week. That's all for me. Bye for now. And bye from me.